You're listening to Dr. Leslie from Dr. Leslie Inspires, where we empower mothers by raising their level of awareness, discussing tough mother-son issues that everyone knows exists, but no one is talking about. Learn more about us by visiting our website at www.drlesleyinspires.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Leslie. Hello, 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 everyone, and thank you for joining us on our podcast today, where we are joined with Miss Rochelle Rivers, who is uh, an author of a journal collection. She is a life coach. She is also a 33-year veteran of AT&T, gone back to school to get a second master's degree, and she is the mother of one son. Yes, <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> so, Miss Rivers, welcome to the show today. We thank you so much for finding time in your schedule. Uh, I know you're working nights and you're sleeping um, during the day, but I thank you so much for taking the time to join us on today. So, can you just give us a little intro into? what your life looks like right now. Just what's what's going on? Give our audience a good feel for who you are. Well, thank you, Dr. Leslie, for inviting me to your show. I so look forward to speaking to you every chance I get. Uh, I was speaking with my sister who happens to be an educator as well. She teaches early childhood education in Rockdale County. Okay. And by the way, she happened to have one teacher of the year, I think for 19, oh, no. 19. So, you know, I come from a family of educators. So I have a special place in my heart for Dr. Leslie. She showed up at a time in my life when I needed her. And I was telling my sister that Dr. Leslie had invited me to the podcast. And I was really excited because I don't care what you do. If you need me, call me. I'm here to hey, testify, man. to offer whatever I can. <laughs> Amen. As a way to say thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you've done and showing up in my life and the life of my son, who, by the way, I've had a recent conversation, even prior to this, who said to me his favorite, best, most productive time in school was when he was with Dr. Leslie. Oh, wow. I, did not, I did not know that. Wow. I, we just were talking about some things and he said, she got me. And I and he enjoyed school at that you time. Oh, Miss Rivers, I'm gonna use that opportunity to point my pat myself on the back, but I get that a lot. You and, should. And you I, should. I just it it just lets me know that I'm always in the right place at the right time, even when it doesn't feel like it. Exactly. You exactly. tell Eric that I said thank you, and I want to see his face very. I soon. will definitely tell him that uh, Eric is going to be a father soon. How old is he now? He is 28. Oh my God. I know you had him in the seventh and eighth grade. Yes. And he just turned 28 in January. He has a baby coming in April, April 27th. Wow. I know. Isn't that something? I can't wait to see him. He was taller than the rest of the uh, his peers. Is he still very tall? He's not as tall as we thought he was going to get, but he's about as tall as his dad. He's six two, so he's still tall. Okay, you know, on the, considering average, but yeah, he is. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Wow, that was a <laughs> wonderful give back introduction. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, I said you were at a company for 33 years. You yes. kind of went back to school. What what does all of that look like as a mother? I know your son is older now, yes. but you went through a uh, the death of your father mm -hmm. um, and you had to take care of him before he passed. I do remember mm -hmm. that. Just tell yes. us a little bit about that time in your life. Well, I had just gotten into a place of what I felt like was emptiness and I had free time on my hand, even though I was helping to take care of my dad. He wasn't in such bad shape that he needed constant care. And plus I'm the oldest of four. So I have other siblings that would, you know, step in and help out and who actually lived closer to him. And one of my brothers actually lived with him 
So I, it wasn't that I was always in need, but I did take him to the majority of his doctor's appointments and visit. He seemed to want me to be the one to take him to the doctor's appointments. Mm -hmm. So just as I had recommitted or was in a place where I had space and time, I recommitted to helping you and your school and the things that you needed. But just it's almost like within a couple of weeks of doing that, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And so we were kind of thrown in the midst of that. Now, mind you, five years prior, we had lost my mom to stomach cancer. So we were still kind of dealing with some of those emotions as they resurfaced when my dad got sick. And I was focused on that. But in the midst of being focused on that, that was also the year that I reached 30 year service with my company. And I was kind of in a place of contemplation. Where am I going next? What's next? What do I want to do? Am I going to stay here for more time? Am I going to go and leave the company? What am I going to do with my life? Mm -hmm. So in between doctor's appointments and taking him to visit the doctor, I kind of was just like, you know, maybe I'll do some adjunct teaching. Maybe I'll do some community college teaching. You know, as I mentioned, I'm from a family of educators. I just chose not to be an educator. But now maybe it was something that I could consider. So I did some research looking at what the company had to offer from an educational perspective. And I realized that there were additional monies and funds available for me to kind of move in a different direction if that's what I wanted to do. The company was moving from a telecommunications company into a technology company. And because of that, they were offering us an opportunity as employees to pivot our skill set to technology-based um, opportunities. Now, I had been in technology for 20 plus years. I work in technology within um, telecommunications, but I didn't have a technology degree. Okay. I had a master's degree in organizational leadership and my bachelor's degree was in organizational uh, industrial psychology. So I kind of was business side of yes. the, biz, the organization and not technology. So I went online, I said, well, let me see what we got. They had some more funds. And I said, well, maybe I need to take advantage of this and get another degree. You know, um, maybe I'll take advantage and get a technology degree. And as I proceeded, one of the things that popped up was an opportunity to go to North Carolina A&T. AT&T and North Carolina A&T had come into some level of agreement where they, you know, were partnership, there was a partnership and we could go back and at a reduced rate and the company was paying. Wow. Now, a little backstory on that. When I graduated high school, North Carolina A&T was where I wanted to go. I was accepted, mm -hmm. but I got a letter saying, that your dorm is not secure, you're gonna be in a lottery. And I thought as an 18 year old at the time, well, I don't wanna go if I don't know where I'm gonna stay. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the benefit of parents who had been in that space. So they didn't have much to offer as yeah. far as what they understood. My dad, although he was a college graduate, he graduated on the GI Bill. So he was in the military, you graduated when you, once you had a family and kids. So living on the dorm wasn't an option. And my mom had chosen not to go to college. So she didn't have that information as well. So I decided not to go. But the one thing that haunted me, if I could say I had a regret was not pursuing that degree at North Carolina a &T. Yes. So as destiny would have it, <laughs> I came right AT&T says, well, we're in partnership with them. And I had checked over the years about HBCUs that had online programs because my degrees were online. And when I saw that, I was like, you know what, I'm signing up. And I remember telling my dad that I was going back to school. He said, again, I said, yeah, I'm going back again. And he, there was some excitement because he, he is an educator. So he was all for furthering your education. And unfortunately, a few months into his diagnosis, he passed away. Okay. Uh, we, the diagnosis was in, was in August of 2018 and he passed away in December of 2018. And interestingly enough, I had already done everything I needed to do to start school in January of 2019. Mm -hmm. So I took a moment and I said, you know, do I really want to go and pursue this degree right on the heels of burying him? I mean, literally a month after he passed away. 
I was going to be starting school again. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure, but I said, you know what, Rochelle, putting it off is going to solve what, you know, just dig in, do what you got to do. And I had made a decision that I wanted to complete this degree in a year. It was going to be very aggressive and I had to be very focused, mm-hmm. but I completed it in a year. So December of 2019, almost that was the anniversary of his passing. I walked across the stage and wow. graduated with Amen. a second master's in information technology. So, so that's kind of what I've been doing here lately. Is not God good. Okay, good. All the time. Yes. Amen. So having said all that, that gives us some background about you. One of the things that I heard you say was uh, after, you know, your son left and things were going on with your dad, you became an empty nester. You started looking for things to fill your time. Mm-hmm. Well, with Dr. Leslie Inspires, we try to um, find ways, you know, people that women that are interested in us are women who are struggling uh, in some form or fashion to raise their son. Yes. And as we mentioned earlier, you mentioned you have one son. Yes. I had said, usually women with one son, I don't even have to, you know, I can say, oh, well, how many sons do you have? When you say one, I say, "Mm." Mm, yeah, I know about that. (laughs) It's usually one way or the other, but Tell us a little bit of your story about raising your one son and what that was like for you as a mother, maybe some of your triumphs and some of your struggles as well. I think the, the biggest thing that comes to mind is the recognizing, and it takes a while because I didn't recognize this early, that there is a real and true communication gap between men and women. Mm. And when you understand that your son is a little man, not from a, you know, mature, can handle things perspective, but his thought processes are that of the male gender. And we so communicate differently, but I'm a female. So I'm communicating with this man child Mm -hmm. as I would from a female perspective. He is not listening to me because we're talkers. They are not. So as we talk more, they tune out more. Mm -hmm. So therein lies the struggle. That's when, in my opinion, when the struggles begin, because they're kind of tuning you out because it's like, I don't want to hear all that. What age did you start to see that, Miss Rivers? I think I noticed that right around middle school, high school time frame, you know, just as when he was there with you, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I think that's when the lights came on for me that we're not having the same conversation. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, what I'm communicating, he's not getting. And of course, a a clear part of communication is not just someone speaking, but is the other person comprehending and getting what you're saying? But I think when we're mothers raising our sons, we think they're hearing what we're saying and they're not. And their translator takes what we say and, and, and gives it a different meaning. But that's true when you communicate with grown men, you know, that that's what's happening. And I, but I did not know how to fix that. I didn't know how to change that. So in my ignorance, I continued communicating the way I knew how to communicate, which meant he com- continued understanding or not understanding to the degree that he was. So I think that opened up a space of me recognizing we're not talking, we're not getting, we're not connecting. Right. And that was a little disheartening because I had made it my business to try to connect with him, you know, to try to be heard and to be understood, but I, and I wasn't getting through, but I didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. To, to get through to him. I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And unfortunately, um, you know, we just, that we kind of struggled for several years until we could get to a place where we could sit down and have open and honest dialogue about a lot of things. And that's when we were able to kind of connect and say, 
Yeah, you don't, you didn't hear what I was saying, nor did I hear what he was saying. And sometimes it wasn't what he was saying, it was just his behavior, but because I didn't know how to interpret it, I didn't realize he was giving me signs and messages in his behavior, but I didn't know that's what that was. Yeah. And, you know, and I tell him now, it's unfortunate, but you guys don't pop out with an instruction manual in your hand. That's right. Saying, this is who I am. This is how I am. And do this to get through to me. So, you know. Yes. Let me ask, did you, what role did his father play in his life? And did, was he able to help you at all? As That's you- the unfortunate part. He was always there, but not there. You know, we could always call him if EJ needed anything. If he wanted anything from a financial perspective, he was there. Emotionally, he wasn't so much clued in. And of course, that's very frustrating because the beauty, and of course you realize it in hindsight, of mothers and fathers parenting their children is that you have both aspects. We are truly nurturers. Mm -hmm. And where we drop the ball when we're dealing with a male child, that's when the father should pick it up and say, Yes, I get what you're saying, but he's not hearing you because we hear this way. But if they're not in a space that they can do that, then we can't work together to, you know, get the message across to the child. So although he was basically there as far as being a true emotional support and understanding, trying to understand what he needed, especially during high school years where he's maturing and trying to figure himself out he wasn't very helpful from an emotional perspective yeah let me ask because what i one thing that i've seen with very strong mothers very strong women very strong wives sometimes uh we as strong women um don't allow men Mm -hmm. have that space to talk so perhaps, um, do you think that maybe his father tried to talk at some point and, and was shut down and it kind of spilled over? I just did a podcast sounded something very similar, <laughs> but, but there's some things after you've been doing this for a while right. that you can kind of hear maybe what happened because just like your son, mm-hmm. sometimes men, like you said, the boys are little men. They're little men, right. Trying to grow up. But what I learned with my ex is that, yes, I am obviously a very strong-willed, outspoken woman, and my opinions will be heard. Uh, His personality is the total opposite. It doesn't matter if I had said anything. He's not a talker. And it was not that way. And it was really always that way. When I think back on it, he was always that way. We went to high school together. Now we weren't together in high school. We met after high school, but I knew who he was in high school. Interestingly enough, his best friend, one of his best friends is married to my sister. His argument would also be today that he doesn't talk. You don't, you don't get a whole lot of conversation out of him. Now, when we were was young, attractive? was that attractive to you? I think it was, but I think it was attractive because of where I was in my level of maturity at the time. Mm-hmm. As a strong woman who was clear on what I wanted to do, I didn't really need a whole lot of input. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I was focused. This is what I want to do. This, this, this. And he was like, well, okay, let's, let's do that. Yeah. You know, not really bringing a whole lot of what did you think about, or how about we consider? But at, so, your, at that age, like you said, you didn't need all of did, that. Right, I didn't, and you I didn't know the need. importance of yes. that. Yes. Did not know the importance of that. So when we were young, because we were 21, I was 20, he was 21, when we started dating, you know, very young, not aware of ourselves or our own issues of insecurity. So you don't realize that you may be choosing someone out of your insecurities as opposed to out of what is actually needed. So his quietness was wonderful. That means I don't get a lot of pushback, you know, for the things that I want. Your talkativeness was, hey, good. I don't have to say too much. Right. And for him, him, it was like, she talking, don't require a lot out of me, works out. So that's great until you realize, well, I need you 
to step into this situation. And in his mind, well, uh, no, because you've been handling it, so keep yeah. doing it. You know, not recognizing the level of importance that he had yeah. in shaping and molding his son as well. So you you don't realize those things until you're in it. You're in the, the war, you're in the trenches, and you realize, okay, so I need you to step up, get engaged, offer something, say something. There were occasions when I said, I would say, hey, how about, he's getting old enough, you need to teach him how to cut the grass or he needs to have the responsibility of taking the trash out. And his response was kind of, you know, by the time I go through all of that, I could have done it already. Mm -hmm. That is an indication that you don't understand the importance of him learning those things and why. You just kind of want to say, well, you know, it's done, what difference does it make? But it makes a difference if you're trying to teach a lesson to the child. Yeah. So then I come along with a whole lot of you need to do, you need to do. And he's thinking about, well, dad, don't think I need to do all that. So right. why I got to do all that? So, yeah, I was I was asking, how did he respond? What were his responses to you and what, what were his responses to his father and how did they differ? Well, his responses to me was always he was never going to be just completely disrespectful and just not accommodating in conversation Mm -hmm. but he just wasn't going to do what I was asking him to do a lot of times and with his dad there were no real needs for a response because his dad never really asked anything of him he didn't make demands on him as far as I was the one that was involved in school I was the one that went and spoke with the teachers. I was the one that was involved with all of his extracurricular activities. And his dad's response was always, well, I got to work. Well, I got to work. I got to work. And it was a constant. So the the brunt of what was required was dropped in my lap. So his dad never made any response, no no requests from him to respond to. Uh, But what that did show me as time grew on was the same message that we get so often, the one that's there, the one that's in the trenches, the one that's doing the work is deemed the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And the one who is, you know, well, nothing's required, of course, is going to be deemed as the good guy because they make no demands. They have no, you know, you need to do this or you need to do that. So of course, any, most, any kid is accepting and more appreciative of that scenario than they are of the one that is saying, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what we've got to get done. This is where we stand. Any um, concerns or issues that he had, you know, he would more often, if he wanted anything and he felt like I was going to say no to what it was he was looking for, he would try to engage his dad. His dad would call. We would have conversation. But he was never one that was just going to say, this is what needs to be done and what I think should be done from a male perspective. It was always one to acquiesce. And that's in every aspect of his life. Wow. So, you know. So let me ask you this. Based off of what you just said, um, we have a, a course called Sons Speak Loudly in Quiet Desperation where I interviewed some males aged mm-hmm. 16 to 53. Mm-hmm. And some of the responses that I got um, overall, I found some angry men. Yes. And just like you said, most all of them were accustomed. And, and I didn't... I. I picked these men from, you know, people that I knew or people that somebody, somebody knew that was willing to be open, you know, with mm-hmm. the story. And across the board, mom was there. Mm-hmm. Mom was there. And in most cases, dad was not. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he was there, but was not. Was emotionally not there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you got the, the result was an angry young man mm-hmm. but they could not articulate that that's where... how they were angry mm-hmm. but deep down inside 
Ms. Rivers, they wanted their father. That's exactly what they wanted. Their world and I pushed, right, but there's nothing that a mother can do about that. Yes. You know, I encouraged his dad, look, y'all have the same interests, the same, y'all like the same stuff. Go when, you, when it's a game day, instead of you going to hang out with your friends, how about you and he go hang out and watch the game or yeah. whatever? But it was just, I was not going to get what I was hoping to get from yeah. him. Just so, so did it change at all over the years? It has not. Um, they have the relationship they have. And what I had to accept was that is the relationship they have. You know, they speak, they talk to each other. You know, it's all surface level conversation about the game, what's going on, his dad. And it was so interesting. When he told me that his girlfriend was pregnant, I was not excited, honestly. <laughs> I just was like, really? Because yeah. you ain't ready. You you know, because you're thinking, we you're know them. Father, you're not right. ready. That requires a lot. Me. Uh -huh. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know that you're ready. But let's be clear who is ready, you know, right. when you first become a parent. And we had a conversation later and he said, now, after he told me, he hit, we talked and he left. And I immediately called his dad. I said, have you talked to your son? He said, no, nah, I haven't talked to him in a couple of days. I said, well, uh, he's going to be somebody's daddy. <laughs> he was like, what? I said, yeah. And so we kind of had that conversation. And then a few days later, it was my birthday and my son came to take me out for my birthday. And he said, you know, I talked to dad. I said, well, you know, I told him that, you know, he said, yeah, he told me. He said, and you know, he seemed kind of excited. And I just looked at him, I said he would. <laughs> and so we didn't have a, an extensive conversation at that time. Uh -huh. But later he asked me, well, why did you say that? You know, why did you say he would seem excited? I said, because if you've been in the trenches, you know that it's, it's trepidation mm. initially, not excitement. Uh -huh. I said, but if you've kind of played it on the sidelines, it sounds exciting. You know, we keep hearing from so many people our age, I'm a grandmother. dirty. Right, mm -hmm. you know, from people our age, we keep hearing, oh, being a grandparent is the greatest and it's this, it's that, and that sounds great mm -hmm. from a grandparent perspective. But when you understand that from a parental perspective, the work that's going to be required of him mm -hmm. and her, mm -hmm. it's hard to be real excited yeah. when you know the level of work that's there and you know that this person may not fully be equipped for the work that's there. But if you have not done the work, then you get to sit in the seat of excitement of just about being a grandparent because it's all everything on the outskirts. For you. Um, now, what I have been able to do in order to maintain a level of civility and humanity between um, myself and my ex-husband for the sake of our son is I had to realize he was doing the best he could. He, When I look at what his experience was, I realized that's why he is who he is today. Mm -hmm. So you can't continue to hold someone responsible for being something that one, they never saw, and two, they just didn't have the ability to become for whatever reason, you know? So we have been able to maintain a relationship of civility, but not without me periodically being a little frustrated because he didn't step up and be the type of father that I knew that my son needed. Yeah. Wow. You've said some really rich things because there are so many women dealing with the same thing. So do you think that you just came to a point of acceptance of that's how his father is? Or have you were you able to evolve in your role to accept his role? Or do you is it still just frustrate you? It, it still is a bit frustrating when I really sit in it and think about it. But I have evolved over a period of time from just wanting to be angry because my dad was such a great dad. He did not have the best experience, my dad, because he complained, you know, we all can find things to complain about our parents. Yes. And he had a few complaints, but he decided that the things that he complained about, his kids would not complain about. 
That's how you know. it usually is. That's usually what it is. But uh -huh. then I have to remember the anecdote that says you could have two sons grow up in a household of a father that's an alcoholic. One will be an alcoholic and one will never drink. The reality that our own personal perspective paints a picture more so than anything else. And so my dad decided that I'm going to do better for my kids. I'm gonna be there 100% involved and engaged. Now his parents were married uh, until his mother passed, um, but he was, I mean, we were kids when his mom passed. So, you know, he was real grown. But one of his complaints was that his dad was, he worked a lot, so he wasn't available for the extracurricular activities and the things that he participated in. His dad was never there. It was always his uncles and other people. So he said, I'm, that's not gonna be me. So whatever we did, he was participating in that. He was the coach of the track team, the, the softball team, the basketball team. The only thing he didn't coach was when I was a cheerleader. My sister and I were cheerleaders and then he came to the game. So right. he was 100% engaged. These are my kids. He did the same for my brothers, whatever they participated in. He was a coach, he was there. So we knew, and that was my example of fatherhood. Yeah. You know, he worked a lot. My mom was more or less a homemaker. She would work part-time sometimes, but it was four of us. So it just made sense that she, you know, take care of the kids. And so my dad did work a lot, but he was engaged in our lives. We could not say, well, he's at work and that's why he's not here. Cause right. his, whatever his jobs were, they knew that whatever my kids are dealing with, they come first. Mm -hmm. So of course I'm expecting that same thing. Yeah. And I didn't get that. So I'm like, well, what? Okay, you have complaints of your father, but why are you not being better than him? you know, or being different, you know, mm -hmm. because that to me is just what you do. You say, this was a problem and I don't want that to impact my child. So I do differently. But in his case, he was the son that did the same thing that yeah. the father did, yeah. you know, in that aspect, you know, there were some things about his dad's life that he did not adopt, but in that regard, he did adopt that. And at some point you have to own, I can't change you. Yep. Uh, I can only change me and how I react and respond in the situation. And even bigger than that, I have to realize that the experiences that we live through are really orchestrated and ordained by God to get us to where we want to be. Mm -hmm. So as much as I want to make for a perfect situation for my son, that's kind of, that's not going to happen. That's right. Not only that, I had a conversation with another friend of mine. Her son and my son played basketball together and we were just talking one day and I told her, I said, he needs, and this was prior to his dad and I separating. I said, he needs some hardships in his life. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, why would you say that? Because, you know, as parents, that's not what we want. We, we want to make the road smooth for our kids. I said, but hardships help you navigate life. I said, if I make his road smooth, which as an only child, your road's kind of smooth. You know, your parents were doing pretty good. His dad and I, you know, we, we lived a very good, I would say upper middle-class life. So he didn't want for anything. He was the only grandchild, the only nephew. My sister was teaching and brother in college and my parents were spoiling him rotten. And, and so he didn't, he wanted for nothing. Right. from in that regard I said but he needs hardships in his life because he's got to learn how to navigate the hardships and she was like but nobody wants their child to go through I said we don't I said but that's how you that's where your strength comes from that's how you find out what you're made of that's how you find that out so I had to eventually say okay so if he's not going to have the perfect life or perfect experience from dad perspective and even from my perspective as mom, these are the struggles that he's got to have in order for God to get him to where he's got to be. Yeah. So I had to kind of sit in that and get okay with it. Cause you know, we kind of want to run to the rescue all the time. Yep. This is my book, um, Setting Boundaries with Your African-American Son. And I was actually looking for the part in the book talking about the chrysalis. Yes. 
And so from a butterfly experience, that is exactly it. And we as women, you know, with our children, with our sons, we want to save them. We just like you had a nice life with your father, right. your parents, you looked at your relationship growing up and said, okay, I didn't like this part of my life. So we're I don't not want gonna my do son. That. I don't want, right. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to make sure my right. son knows blah, blah, blah. Exactly. And so once we do that, you know, we, like you said, as nurturers, we just don't want them to struggle until right. you come to the realization that without wait, struggle, what? Nothing. Yeah. So as part of the chrysalis, when that uh, little caterpillar becomes a cocoon and as, as, as it is sitting there upside down hanging, some stuff is taking place on the inside of that cocoon. That has to take place. Has to take place. If it does not, that caterpillar does not become the butterfly. It does not. Period. It and doesn't. It, if you help it out, it becomes a little crippled butterfly. A I mean, little crippled know, mess, right. <laughs> fly with one wing. And the thing is, we usually, and I'm, I'm glad you did find that out because unfortunately, Ms. Rivers, some women are having massive, massive health challenges mm -hmm. because they are finding it very hard, one, to admit that there's a problem and two, that they should not help him. They right. continue to build a lifestyle out of helping him. And I didn't, that's, that's what I did not want. Not only for him, but let's be clear, I didn't want it for myself. That right. means I'm constantly engaged in this process in a way that I don't want to be engaged in it. Yeah. I knew from early, I might have been pregnant when I realized I want to raise him to be independent. Mm -hmm. not dependent on me. Yes. So I would let him go with my parents, with my sister. And my friends would say, EJ is gone again. Yes, because I want him to feel comfortable with other people and not think that his only security is with me and his dad. So mm -hmm. I wanted him to have that experience of not thinking I was the end all be all because what happens if God forbid you take me? And, and he's left. Right. How then does he manage his emotions if he thinks that the son was only with his mama? Now you gotta live a life without your mama and you can't. See, so at least I, when you're alive and as he's bumping into those walls, you can say, well, this is what happened right there. You can lead and guide him right. while you are alive and telling him. But let me tell you, if if this, and this happens so much. All the time. He's making, they're making mistakes and you're saving them. Guess what? Like you said, God forbid the Lord takes you. When he takes women, the kids, the sons don't know what else they to do. They have no way to manage because she has managed everything. She everything. did and saved it. And I told my friend that I was telling that to, I said, and I need him to go through some hardships while he is under my watch. I said, meaning before he graduates high school, because I have some influence at that point. Yes. I said, once he gets out into the world and starts dealing with hardships, my influence is less and the consequences are greater. Yep. I said, so... I need him to have some struggles. And he had had none. Life had been, you know, pretty much. Yeah. Right. He was, I, even though I was the one that would say no more often than anybody else, he knew he could call his grandmother or my sister or even go to his dad and problem solve whatever you're trying to get or have, then they would solve that. That's what it was, right. you know? So I, I, I finally had to accept that some of the hardships in life, although they appear to have been created by him, they were orchestrated by God. Mm -hmm. We don't go through anything that he is totally caught off guard with. And I had to lean to my faith, which, you know, I, it, going through my divorce and just dealing with the realities of what my life was, because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, you know, we, we got a picture and this don't look like that. So I had to sit in, in, in prayer and I was really growing from a spiritual perspective 
and spent some time in the book of Job. And I understood, and the one thing that slapped me in the face that just opened my eyes and made me see who God was in a different light mm-hmm. was the, the very beginning when it says that basically Satan was walking to and fro, uh, looking for whom to devour. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? So I said, in that moment, in my immature state, really, God, that's what we do? So you said, Job is the most upright dude in us. And when Satan say, I'm looking for somebody to bother, you say, well, what about Job? Really? Have you tried Job? Why have you tried Job? And Satan even said, why should I? You got him covered up so much. Mm. Why should I even bother? And God says, well, how about I remove some of this cover? So basically what you're saying is you just opened the door on all of this quote unquote hell that came into Job's life. Mm-hmm. Because I know he's going to come out as pure gold. I Not only is he going to come out as pure gold, there, although I deem him as the most upright man in us, mm. there are lessons that Job even still needs to learn. Yes, yes. And this is how he's going to learn them because he's sitting in this upright seat. Mm. So it kind of gives the illusion that I don't need to learn nothing. I got all the answers. I'm good. Right. It's y'all with a problem. Yeah. But when these trials come on him, those are additional lessons that he had to learn. And God knew he needed to learn those lessons. And because he needed to learn them, he allowed all this, what appeared to be calamity mm-hmm. in Job's life. So we've got to sometimes give thought to the fact that some of this stuff, yeah. God said, this is what this one needs to get to where I've called them to be. Yes. And what I continue to hope for is to have an influence in my son's life so that when those things come and we talk, I can help him navigate those from the perspective of how you need to think, how you need to look at life, what you need to ask for in prayer or how you need to seek God in prayer. Not from a, I need to rescue you. Yeah. But here's an opportunity that God is trying to show you something. That's right. You need to learn. You know, I've heard it stated, all things are lessons that God would have us learn. Amen. You find yourself in a situation. No, I'm not necessarily going to come to the rescue. But what I will say is, this is a lesson. Yeah. What will God have you learn in this? And you got to seek him and you got to ask him. And that's going to help develop your spiritual muscle and help you get to where you need to be. Because me answering or coming up with a solution at every turn, that's not going to help you develop the spiritual muscle that you need. And these things were sent for that. That's right. And that's hard because as a mother, we want to save God. dog. We want to we want to save them. We want to save them. And we are creating a monster. Yeah. When we save them. Do you know what I think of often, Ms. Rivers? How often does God look down at us and want to save us? He, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Sometimes we feel like he does, but it's like we want him to until, like you said, we develop that spiritual muscle. We don't expect him to. But now we're looking to say, what lesson does God want me to get out of this? Because you want me to learn something in this. You got to. But that's the thing. We know that God is moving and saving us. Mercy and grace Mm -hmm. says you walked before me and you prevented some things from happening in my life that could have taken me out. You did. But there are some other times when we can say, well, now why you ain't doing nothing about this situation? This situation is a big hot mess. Why didn't you do something about that? And God is saying, because I need you to deal with that. I need you to deal with that. And he determines our spiritual growth and maturity based on how we deal with it. He's not a teacher. And I say that when I talk to other women in coaching, in school, Some teachers have been known to say, and we know kids have experienced this. You didn't pass the test, but you passed the test. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We're going to send you on. You ain't ready, but go ahead. God doesn't do that. He never does that. You don't get to go to the next level of spirituality until you legitimately pass that test. He doesn't say, well, you were close enough. No, you got to step up. He's got to see you handle that in the way he expects you to handle it with that level of maturity on that level before you graduate. You know what? 
the children of Egypt, it was an 11 day trip. But how long did it take them? 40 years. Because God said, if y'all gonna keep walking around this mountain till you get it, then keep right on. I'm not gonna solve this problem. You gotta solve it. It's just like I was working with my niece, my sister's daughter is currently 16, but we were doing some uh, algebra and I was helping her out. My sister was like, can you come help her with this algebra? Cause that's not my, it's not my thing. So I could go and give her every answer. Mm-hmm. But how's that gonna help her when the test comes? Exactly. You've learned nothing. And that's what God is wanting us to get. And it, like you said, the children of Egypt, the 11 day journey, 40 years. Cause y'all didn't get it. Cause y'all didn't get it. And he was not gonna cut corners after 20 years and say, well, go ahead. Yeah. And the other thing that I keep reminding myself of that I like to remind mothers, he's already provided everything that we need. Already. It's like you with your son, mm-hmm. you've already provided whatever he needs, but he's right. got to come correct. He's got to do his part. He's exactly. Maybe exactly. when he was younger, he could have just been given some things. But now right. with maturity, you can't be given things now. No, you can't be given. There's an expectation on you yeah. to step up to the plate, to be able to earn it. And I think that's what becomes hard because as our children grow, our parenting has to evolve with them. Yes. Ooh. And we've got to recognize that not only are their needs different, but what is required of us is different as well. Mm -hmm. And if your intent is to put out, quote unquote, the best product, then you've got to do a better job with what is, Mm. you know, called what is this thing called help? What is that? Help Mm. can hurt if given too much. And we've got to be willing to step back sometimes and say, okay, now this is on you. There's an expectation that you handle this. And if you, you've created a, your bed, then you have to lay in this bed yeah. and deal with the consequences of that. And that's hard because as parents, we're judged. We're judged on the actions and decisions of our children. Mm-hmm. The question is, well, what kind of parents raised this one? The same kind that raised any kind. They just made decisions that they made when they got a certain age and they decided, well, I'm gonna try this. So I'm gonna do this. And it created you know, a problem. But we know that we're judged by that. So we try to save not only the children, but save our own mm-hmm. ego. That's about us, yes. Right, the ego mm-hmm. says, well, what are people gonna think about you? Mm-hmm. But you've gotta get real comfortable that I'm good with me, that I did what I was supposed to do. I did the best job. And the people that know you, they know how you raised your children, your son. And you can't worry about that. And you gotta let, the chips fall where they may, where they may, and trust that it's all. And God got it all. He got it all in control. He's he did not wake up and say he did what he right. didn't. God didn't wake up and say that. He yeah. is constantly aware of what we have done and what we will do. Yes, and he's made a way already for that situation. Yeah, as your son, as sons. Um, are covered by their mother's prayers. Um, you know, God, he fixes all the broken pieces. He Whatever does. Whatever the enemy meant for your son's harm, God, he will turn that thing around and make mm-hmm. it work for right. him. Right, it all works together for the good. It all works together. And we have to remember that. And I try to keep that in mind, even with just speaking, you know, it's Black History Month, Malcolm X. We know who he is based on who he was as Malcolm X, mm-hmm. but Malcolm Little went mm-hmm. to jail. Right. Ooh. And he had to go to jail as Malcolm Little to become Malcolm X. Malcolm X. That's right. But if he had been saved from going to jail from a parent that wanted to prevent all of that, yeah. the experience that he had in jail that made him become Malcolm X, he never would have had that experience. Mm-hmm. So we've got to stop looking at um, an anecdote that I remind people of all the time is there was this farmer in this land and 
he was having a hard way with his crop. He only, you know, he had one horse and he had all this crop that he needed to harvest. And his, the township people would walk by, oh my God, this is horrible. You've only got one horse. How are you going to do this? And the farmer would say, I don't know, good or bad, we'll see. And then the one horse got sick and it was like, oh my God, now one, the one you had is sick and gone. He said, and how horrible is that? He was like, good or bad, we'll see. Well, the sick horse went away to, to be healed. And when he came back, came back with a whole bunch of wild horses. Oh, how great is that? You've got all these horses. Now you can, you know, harvest your land. He's like, I don't know. We'll see, good or bad. Um, we'll see. And then his son was helping him with one of the wild horses who kicked him and broke his leg. So they was like, oh my gosh, now your son can't help you because he's got a broken leg. How horrible is that? And the farmer said, I don't know, good or bad, we'll see. Next thing you know, the king of the township says, we're going to war and every able-bodied man is going to war. Well, your son ain't able-bodied, so he don't go to war. Mm-hmm. And they was like, oh, wow, he didn't go to war. And the son was like, and the, the father was like, good or bad, we'll see. But the moral of that is you don't know what a situation is, whether it's good or bad. It look, may look bad, That's right. but it may prove to be good. It may look good. It may prove not to be. That's right. Allow God to do what he's going to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. And that's hard as mothers because we just want to save them. We just want to save them and keep them safe. And we can't because that's not how God designed it. And we got to remember he guides before he mind anyway. So say that one more time. <laughs> he belongs to God before he belongs to me. I'm he alone to me. Right. You know, and that's what we've got to accept. And that's hard. And the other thing is, God loves him way more than you. Way more than I could even imagine. But not only does he love him, he loves me and him in that situation. So he got that whole situation under control, but it's so hard to recognize that, especially when you have an idea of how it's supposed to be in your mind. Yes. God said, well... Let's say man makes the plans, but God orders the step, you know. Yep. God said, good or bad, we'll see, because you're not, you're not listening. You don't know, (laughs) is what he think. I know that's what he said to me. You don't know. (laughs) So we, that's what we have got to, that's the hard part. We've got to learn how to love and let go. Yes. And that's so difficult because we just want to hold on to them. And I mean, but when you think about what motherhood was when they got here, it was about protecting them. That's what you did for the first, what, 10 good years, at least 10 good years of their life, because they're with you most of the time. You got to make sure there's no, I remember when I had him in the hospital, I remember thinking, I got to take him home Mm -hmm. and keep him alive, because if I don't keep him alive, they're going to lock me up, you know, and that was my, that was what parenting meant at that time when you're taking this baby home. I got to take him home and I got to keep him alive. Yeah. And you know, and, now, as we um, get ready to close, this should have been like a two, three part series. Well, it can be. So good. <laughs> it was so good. The, um, one of the things that um, I was thinking as your son is preparing to become a father, I'm wondering how much of him is going to look at his father as he determines the type of father that he wants to be. And then sometimes it's when you take that baby home, once the baby is out and you can actually see, oh my gosh, especially if the baby comes out looking like him, we develop this overwhelming need to protect. So it's going to be very, very interesting because Mm -hmm. that could be part of his walk that the Lord says, where it changes for him. And, and, you know, that is definitely something that we've communicated about, you know, you've got to make decisions about what type of father you want to be mm-hmm. and what your experience was. The beauty of my son is he did see his dad, but he also saw an interaction with my dad yeah. and he had a strong interaction with my dad to see what kind of father he was with us. You know, of course, it wasn't his father, it was his grandfather. So he had a different experience, but that was a male influence yes. in his life. I'm hoping that he uses that 
from a positive way yeah. to choose to be better. But what I know, uh, it just I, I'm apprehensive only because I know that you can want to do better and or you can see what's wrong and still choose not to do better. You know what I'm saying? Because of the experience that I have with his dad. Now, what I have done is employ his dad to engage with him in being open and honest with some of the mistakes he made. Mm -hmm and offer some measure of recompense, you know, to yeah. the degree that he can in hopes that it will have an impact on Eric. And, but again, we have to wait and see. Unfortunately, men don't have the full experience of what is to come because they don't, their bodies don't change when there's a baby coming. It doesn't really become real to them until the baby is here and crying. And then they realize, oh, I really am somebody's daddy. You know, whereas mothers, my life changed from the moment of conception. Right. I can't eat that. I can't smell that. I can't do this. You know what I'm saying? So it became aware to us immediately, there's a baby here. There's something growing. Whereas with them, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I see the baby bump. I see the baby kick. But it doesn't become real until the baby is here and now you got to put this baby in your hand and realize this is my responsibility yes so I'm just hoping my prayer my conversation with his dad with other men you know who are have stepped up to the plate are going to be you know um an example yeah for what he should do and how he should operate as a father if he wants something different so but again, I leave it up to God to say, God, you know what we all need. You know, he, God ordained this. And by this, I mean me and you. Yeah. Not just this conversation, but I literally was in a place. Is my child going to school? I have no idea. I don't want to put him in public school. I have no idea. And I'm riding to work, literally crying out to God. And I hear this uh, advertisement for a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. on, um, the I said, on the radio so many years ago and I said what this sounds like what I need and I remember when I walked in because to work because I was on my way to work some of my peers knew that I was looking for you know a school for him and it was like hey did you hear the thing on the radio yes I did and I said and I wrote down her information and I'm calling her today and I, I think I called later that day well, I called Eric, my ex, and said, hey, I think I found the school. And then within a very short period of time, we were making the arrangements for him to be there. But God heard me, heard that cry. Yes. And if he heard that cry, he didn't heard all the rest of them. And he shows up. And it was, I mean, it was maybe a few months before my dad passed. He asked me about that school where E.J. used to go to. They loved that place because they would come to the programs that you put on they love that place my sister asked me not long ago were you still what was going on you know were you still teaching yeah. were you still in in the classroom and I said well I don't know I said I recommitted then daddy got sick and I just had not been back in touch but yeah we all loved it because that to me that was God so if he managed all of that he can manage this one too that's right that's right your son is just creating a testimony, just like yes, all of us. That's it. So yes. I want to encourage you to just continue, even as you um, go into 2.0 as a grandparent, all okay. as well. And it's, it's still, because, oh, I don't know if you know, but I have two grandchildren now. Oh, well, no, I did not. Okay. So that's going to be a, another conversation. Yes, but it is. I, like you, felt the same way. And I tell you, now that those two little brothers are here, uh, I love them dearly. As a matter of fact, I'm missing them right now and I'm gonna probably go and see them. Oh my tomorrow. goodness. Yeah, I felt the same way. Felt the right. same way like. You ain't ready for that. You are not, really, you're not. You're not. And <laughs> I, I actually wrote down something today uh, on a different podcast that I was gonna do concerning that, even concerning myself as I see different things uh evolving because my mother had me when she was 16. wow okay my brother when he was when she was uh 17. 
Wow. And they, the doctors, she said, and she, all of this just came out because she was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. Uh, and so she just had her fourth round of chemo. She's 68. She'll be 69. This Saturday. Wow. Prayerfully, she will be fine. She is fine. And the thing is, all these things that have happened that should have just like been, man, you've messed up your life. Right. You know, then my brother that she had at 17, his daughter is now a doctor, a physician assistant, which he had her at 21, unmarried. Right. And everybody's looking at them like, here we go. Then my mother's 16, like, (laughs) you know, but my mother has the best children me my brother and my sister who she had at 35 when I was wow wow (laughs) so that's a whole another podcast that I haven't talked about so your son's footsteps are ordered and you're going to love that grandchild all the more because you will be able to give them back and you will easily be able to say no not today not today (laughs) Exactly. So that is for true. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I just want, I just want so much for him to know, you know, we hear that saying, and you know me, Dr. Leslie, I'm a lover of quotes. If I knew then what I know now, I try so desperately to help my child know for his now, the things that I can say, I wish I had known at his age. Yes. You know, but some stuff you just got to learn as experience is the best teacher. That's cool. Yes. You learn it. That's it. You got to get beat up with the experience in order sometimes to get that message because most people don't appreciate something until it lands on their front door. You know, I can look at your situation. I can sit in a seat of judgment. I can make a whole bunch of statements, but until that is your experience, you don't understand it. And you have, you got to walk a mile in somebody's shoes, as they say, to get it. So, you know, I'm looking forward. Chris Meyer speak on that very thing today. <laughs> today. And no. that's, but that's just the truth of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here to encourage the help, but y'all got to go home. <laughs> y'all, go home. <laughs> y'all get to go home. Right. So, okay, we're going to close out in prayer. And I just thank you, thank you, thank you for such an awesome and rich interview. Um, I I really do appreciate it. What's the name of your coaching company? And then what's your handle on Instagram? Because I love your quotes too. I always try to hit like when I get on there. My coaching program is Discovering You Transitional Life Coaching. And my journals fall under that same umbrella, Discovering You journal collection that I've created. And I just wanted a space for particularly young ladies, but I did create one that says, it's called the playbook for young men to be able to express themselves. Um, It's a non-judgmental zone. You know, people in the African-American community are having having aversion to therapists. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we are overcoming that and realizing that there's nothing to be ashamed of and we all may need some help. But until you get there, your journal can be your best therapist because there is no judgment. You write how you feel and no one gets to judge you and you petition and you talk to God and you listen to what he has to say. So that was my thought. Plus, I knew that a lot of people were struggling. My niece was one struggling through middle school. And I wanted little girls, young ladies to have a place. And the pictures on the cover, the journals are the same on the inside, but the pictures kind of reflect a young girl that may be in college or a young girl in middle school and then an older woman that's just kind of trying to make their way and find their way. So discovering you, uh, at Discovering You Journals is Instagram, also Rochelle Rivers, um, at Rochelle Rivers on Instagram also, mm-hmm. um, is, which is where you probably see most of my motivational kind of inspirational quotes. I live in that space. That's just, that helps me deal with life and get through the day. So I kind of put that stuff up as yeah. a reminder to myself. And it just so okay. happens a lot of people think it helps them too. Absolutely. It does. I like them. I think I may start um, like taking them and reposting. Do that. Do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, okay, I'm going to close this out in prayer. And then um, hopefully you have subscribed to this uh, podcast. That way you can see when it comes up. I don't have the date yet, but I'm ahead. I always keep some in the queue so we can just keep going. Right. So thank you so much. And let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you. I thank you so much, Lord, for the words of wisdom that Ms. Rivers has given to the mothers that are listening at the sound of her voice. Father God, we pray that you would lead and guide each and every woman, woman on this earth who needs to hear what she has, uh, what she has said. Thank you. Any woman who is going through the same thing and they just need to hear some wisdom and some food for thought. So Father God, we just thank you for Ms. Rivers. I pray that you will continue to cover her and her son as they navigate uh, adulthood and even um, you know being a grandparent uh, and parenthood. Just pray, Lord, that you would cover them because their footsteps are already ordered. This situation did not take you by surprise. There's going to be a whole lot of good that comes out of it. Yes. Thank you, oh God. We will be so careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we will see you very, very soon. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dr. Leslie Inspires. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Also, for more content and resources, please be sure to visit our website, www.drlesslieinspires.com. We'll see you in the next episode.